Welcome, everyone. This is a Council of Institutional Investors Educational Podcast. I'm Jeff Mahoney, General Counsel of CII. I'm here today with Heidi Welsh, Executive Director at Sustainable Investments Institute and a co-author of Proxy Preview. Our topic today is reflections on the 2021 proxy season. Thank you, Ms. Welsh, for speaking with us today. Uh, great to be here and I'm happy to unpack this proxy season. Ms. Welsh, you recently told CNN that the 2021 proxy season was, quote, startling, unquote. What do you believe investors would find most startling about this past proxy season? Well, um, you know, the, the headline event from proxy season uh, was was the, the, the proxy fight at, at Exxon, where three out of four of the dissident directors uh, were elected and 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 they were that that whole campaign happened because of of um, Exxon Mobil's uh, stance on on climate change. Um, and um, I did a piece in Barron's that said, look, this is really a warning for directors everywhere. If if issues that are raised by investors are not addressed by companies, then they're going to go after the board. Um, but I think actually more, even more startling than the Exxon event. Uh, was the number of shareholder proposals on environmental and social issues that earned majority votes. Um, now, majority votes used to be really rare, like maybe one, maybe two uh, in, in a year. And this year there were 34. Uh, <laughs> that that's amazing um i started doing this um you know some 30 years ago and and you know proponents at that point were happy to get you know 10% um and and you know even 5 uh they felt that that was important now with 34 getting majorities that's that's amazing um last year it was 21 and that was a big jump from the previous year so in the last Five years, is it one, one, two, three, four, about 10, in the last 10 years, there've been about a hundred um, majority votes, but um, but 55 of those have occurred in just the last two years. Um, and it's not just on climate change. In fact, um, there were 14 majorities um, this year on corporate political spending. Um, and there were also um, nine majorities on both diversity at work and uh, board diversity. Um, these are numbers that you never would have seen in the past. And I think they both reflect the current moment in our economy and society and the political uh, situation. And they also reflect a really ch a change in the sense from mainstream investment analysts about how important and material all of these issues are to a company's business fortunes. Uh, Ms. Welsh, there's been an ongoing and active debate in recent months about whether the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission can or should force publicly traded companies to disclose information about environmental, social, and governance issues that may not be financially material to the company. In your opinion, did this proxy season provide any evidence that supports SEC rulemaking to mandate certain ESG disclosures? And if yes, which ESG disclosures? 
Well, I mean, I we are not an advocacy organization. We're a research organization, so we don't lobby for um, particular um, things. But what we do is is look very hard at, at the evidence from uh, from proxy season and try to interpret what that means. And if if the um, definition of materiality is information that a reasonable investor wants, uh, and if um, a majority of investors, uh, uh, on average, on a particular topic, want to see that information. I think the evidence-based conclusion is that a majority of your regular, reasonable investor wants the information. So I think the evidence supports uh, uh, sort of disclosure on corporate political spending, uh, on uh, climate change, and on uh, diversity issues, uh, both uh, on the board and uh, in, uh, in the workplace. And, and precisely what measures of climate change need to be uh, disclosed uh, and what elements of corporate political spending uh, are, are particularly of interest. You can dig down further into what the shareholder resolutions have asked for and look at the support levels for those. Um, I think it's it's been clear for some time that um, companies also agree that on the issue of diversity, that board diversity is important. And at this point, I don't think there's a single S&P 500 company that doesn't have at least one woman on the board. Um, and the 30% coalition released a, which, which is uh, has been working on board diversity, um, since I think 2011, um, just issued a rest press release last week talking about the success of their efforts. To my mind, 30% is a modest goal given that half of the um, population is women. Uh, but th there's been a lot of research on the diversity issue that shows that um, more diverse boards think more broadly uh, and, and strategically uh, about uh, the strategic direction of the company, and therefore um, this translates directly into uh, better bottom line results. So I think um, it's the, in, the evidence is already in um, with regard to board diversity, but when you look at board diversity, it's really hard to assess companies. You can assess companies uh, with regard to, um, to gender fairly, um, uh, or, uh, you know, to, to fairly clearly, but um, it, there is no required disclosure uh, uh, from uh, companies with regard to race and ethnicity. Um, so um, if, if there were some sort of requirement for that, there are um, various firms that have tried to work on this. Um, but if you're just going off of, you know, pictures uh, from the website, um, it's sort of hard to tell. <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't seem like a very uh, judicious process. So, so some kind of um, requirement on, on the breakdown of the board, um, I th it seems to me, is it, really um, desired by investors. Uh, and also, uh, many companies are, are now starting to do that. But on the issue of diversity, if you go down to... Um, the uh, the workforce. Um, you've also seen some interesting trends. Um, this year, um, the New York City Comptroller's Office uh, led a push to get uh, EEO1 disclosure uh, voluntarily released by companies. Um, 
a lot of companies have already started to do that, um, partly because um, I think um, it's it's seen as clearly material as designed or, or as, as conceived of by the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, which has now merged uh, with uh, another organization. But um, there's a real growing sense that diversity in the workplace and proper management of it is a really important issue. Um, and uh, m- many of the proposals that uh, the New York City Comptroller's Office withdrew this year after agreements came because the companies agreed to disclose those EEO-1 forms. But the envelope is being pushed further in proxy season on diversity um, because, um, uh, the, as you saw, the shareholder advocacy organization um, uh, out in California led a push to ask for more information, not just about EEO-1 data, but about recruitment, retention, and promotion uh, on the base, uh, you know, broken down by race, gender, and ethnicity, similar to the snapshot from EEO-1, but, but going further in an effort to sort of understand how diversity programs are working. And the other element um, for disclosure that seems to be pressed by proxy season and others interested in this is not just diversity on the board, which is not completely sorted, but sort of progress is underway, but diversity in the C-suite. And if anyone who has analyzed uh, company representation uh, knows that um, the C-suite is still very heavily um, male and white. And if the premise that diversity helps um, helps the bottom line is accurate, um, that will have to change um, over time. Uh, and there's a lot of scrutiny on that. And a lot of the press that pushed this year uh, came um, partly in response to um, the Black Lives Matter movement, but also just because there's broad recognition that um, you have to deal with uh, diversity, uh, both for issues of equity uh, and uh, for your current workforce, but also to attract, um, you know, bright young people who are not comfortable with a discriminatory uh, working environment. They want to work at a place that has these issues sorted, and 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 social issues such as this are um, deeply important to the uh, young. A generation coming into the workforce. So anyway, that's the issue of diversity. Um, uh, and the votes, again, on that were very high. Six majorities on uh, diversity at work. Uh, there were three uh, 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 on um, board diversity, but that's pro- mostly because mo- almost all of them uh, got um, withdrawn. Um, so corporate political spending, that is really interesting this year. Um, with 14 majority votes, these are resolutions both on uh, spending in elections and uh, spending on lobbying. Um, and if you look at the total amount of money spent by companies, um, there's a lot more money that is spent on lobbying than on um, elections. But money spent in elections really tees up a relationship uh, that is then cashed in by uh, those who who spend on elections after the elections when they're looking for particular uh, legislation to pass or change or be articulated after the elections. And that's why so much money gets spent after the elections. But clearly, um, 
uh, you know, 14 majorities. You can't argue with that. Um, this information is seen as, as, as material. And in the current moment, um, post January 6th and the attacks on the Capitol, um, a number of companies have started to rethink, I think, how they were looking at um, the implications of their corporate spending in elections. And also, um, to a certain extent, um, this, this addresses also PAC spending. The resolutions on elections um, are only looking at corporate spending, not PAC spending. But um, the same people at companies um, decide uh, who, where the PAC money goes as, as opposed to the corporate money. Um, and PAC money uh, is, is uh, sort of the decision-making uh, superstructure is administered uh, and, and supported um, by, by the company, even though that money is not shareholder money, it, it comes from uh, corporate officers and those associated with the company. So anyway, um, in, in the wake of the attacks uh, on the Capitol in January, a lot of people are, are I think, even, even in companies are saying, well, what are the implications of our spending uh, on, on our democracy? And if, um, if our, you know, if, if those we are supporting uh, are undermining democracy, what are the implications for business? Um, and I think you can look at this a couple of ways, but um, I mean, for a, from a sort of partisan perspective, but if you just look at it from a straight up practical business perspective, when you have riots in the streets, it's really hard. Or it makes it more difficult to do business. Um, I spent um, about a decade and a half monitoring fair employment uh, in Northern Ireland, um, actually with, with the former CII uh, head, uh, Ken Birch. Uh, we went to Northern Ireland in 1990 and the place was a mess. Um, the troubles had been going on for a couple of decades and it was filled with crumbling brick infrastructure left over from the Victorian era. When they sorted their political problems, investment started to come into the to the um, to the region, and um, and it it boomed. Um, I think we're. It seems to me um, potentially. I mean, I don't think it's Northern Ireland is the same as the United States, but um, the sort of implications of deep political disagreement and the violence displayed in on January 6th uh, suggests to me that um, businesses have a real concern about political agreement and the sort of fate of our democracy, which until now, while not perfect, has been relatively stable. I think the key implication for business and shareholders, whatever you think about, um, you know, a particular political persuasion is that political unrest rest is bad for business. It doesn't help you do business when people are, are going after each other. Um, and the question with political spending and corporate political spending is whose side are you on? Are you on the side of, of, um, you know, agreement with the basic tenets of our government, 
or are you wanting to overthrow it? And what does that do for the business climate? So an important and, and uh, key question. And it seems to me that all the companies that were saying they were rethinking how they were going to spend their money uh, in the political system uh, were really uh, addressing um, uh, that to a certain extent. Um, so um, um, that, that I think is, is, is one that we're gonna be seeing um, play out as the 2022 election comes. Uh, and it, it will play out not only at the national level, but at the state level. Um, we have done a bunch of research looking at corporate political spending and PAC spending in the states. And it's, it's very one-sided, uh, particularly in the South. Um, and it's very heavily um, Republican. And many of the politicians being supported by some of the household names uh, are um, going to politicians who are really not um, displaying values that are consistent with, with sort of temperate uh, economic and political uh, conditions. Um, and I, whether that will continue and, and will, or it will change um, is a really interesting question. Um, so that's that's the political spending piece uh, on climate change. Um, you know, there's a lot of of different um, efforts to come up with frameworks for what should be disclosed. Um, a basic one is what are your uh, greenhouse gas emissions, and have you set any targets to reduce them? Uh, not only for your own operations, but also for for your products. We saw a, a lot of support uh, in proxy season for shareholder resolutions asking for scope three or indirect uh, emissions from, from your products. So that's particularly important for the oil and gas companies. Um, if that's disclosed, if it's managed, if it's set, addressed, um, then um, you know, we have some hope of, of looking at um, you know, bringing climate change uh, under control, although that uh, it, it's really a question of, of adapt adaptation at this point, uh, rather than, um, you know, really getting it under control, I think most people would say. Um, anyway, that's that's sort of my take on proxy season. I mean, there's some other resolutions that came up um, uh, having to do with, you know, sustainability and uh, fair pay and um, a few on, on the pandemic. Um, but those big themes of corporate political spending, climate change uh, and diversity, they've been around for 10 years. They got a lot of support this year. There's a lot of support from investors for more disclosure, which is really what proxy season is all about. And uh, it seems to me to fly in the face of, of the evidence to say that such information is not desired or material from investors. Ms. Welsh, final question. As you are aware, one of the core principles of corporate governance is the principle one share, one vote. So what stands out to you about the 2021 proxy season regarding dual class stock companies with unequal voting rights? Um, well, this gets into another contentious issue, which I'm sure you've covered in other podcasts, which is the, the changes to uh, Rule 14A8, the shareholder proposal rule. Um, and um, uh, it was 
there's there's litigation currently uh, uh, happening about that and an effort to set it aside. What the outcome of that is, uh, it, you know, remains uncertain. But what the rule changes um, uh, that that occurred last year um, mean, um, and th those rule changes will go into effect for the 2022 proxy season, um, is that it's a lot harder to resubmit shareholder proposals um, for the the um, after the first year. So the re resubmission requirements uh, rose from three percent. Um, uh, six percent and ten percent in the first, second, and third year to um, five percent, fifteen percent, and twenty-five percent. It's basically impossible at a dual-class share company to get twenty-five percent uh, from from a shareholder proposal, given the uh, holdings. Um, it's also really hard to get fifteen percent. Um, so, what the implications for the shareholder proposal rule changes are for dual-class share companies? is that uh, you're unlikely to see a shareholder proposal uh, that lasts for more than two years. Um, very specifically um, at Tyson Foods, um, which um, uh, workplace safety and, and sort of concerns are raised by uh, shareholders, um, that proposal was, I think, in its third year. Um, it was couched as a sort of human rights uh, issue, um, but it it really was about uh, workplace safety uh, and the um, and, and protecting workers. And as we know, um, there were huge issues at Tyson's um, uh, it, relating to the pandemic, but also there have been longstanding issues in the chicken processing company uh, at the chicken processing uh, industry about uh, worker safety. Um, that proposal didn't get 15% this year, and it can't be resubmitted. Um, there are other uh, companies um, where uh, dual class uh, issues are at stake, but I think that's the best uh, single example. Um, this is also an issue, um, you know, at a few energy companies uh, and, and in tech uh, primarily, but um, Ford also um, is, is a dual class uh, or at least a heavy, heavy um, influence from the family ownership. There are other companies too, and um, we haven't done a complete analysis of what specifically um, the impact would be from uh, for resubmission of shareholder proposals, but um, as, in essence, it, it just makes it harder to to pursue uh, questions that um, challenge management at those companies on in shareholder um, season, but also, you know, obviously uh, outside of the, the proxy season. So that concludes our podcast episode. On behalf of the Council of Institutional Investors, I'd like to thank our special guest, Heidi Welsh, the Executive Director at Sustainable Investments Institute and the co-author of Proxy Preview. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please feel free to contact me at jeff, J-E-F-F at C-I-I.org. Thank you for Until listening time, to I'm this Jeff episode Mahoney. of The Voice of Thanks Corporate for Governance, listening. brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.